Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, church. Uh, We're excited to have you back with us again. Uh, For those of you who are new with us, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Hanford, uh, and we're in week three of uh, virtual church. Um, You know, as the memes that have been floating around on the internet say, the church isn't closed, the church can't be closed, the church is a a people, not a place. Um, And so wherever you are, I hope you've uh, had your pancakes and your coffee and you're cuddled up with uh, your favorite animal uh, in your pajamas and uh, you guys are ready to go and hear the word of God. Um, and so um, all that to be said, uh, make sure for those uh, for, for those updates that you need to have that um, to, to just stay informed and that sort of thing, uh, make sure you're following along on our Instagram page uh, as well as our Facebook page. There's links to those on the website, fbhanford.org. Um, and we would love to make sure that you could, uh, could keep up to date with everything that we have going on uh, at the church and not at the church, probably more uh, specifically. Um, but, uh, but today, we get to celebrate Palm Sunday, which is a weird thing to do, to celebrate Palm Sunday uh, with you. And for those of you who are new to faith, this may be kind of a strange day, or, or maybe you have traditions in your family that you kind of know what happens on Palm Sunday, but maybe you don't know exactly what uh, Palm Sunday is or whatever it is. But in short, Palm Sunday is celebrating the beginning of what we in the Christian realm would call Passion Week. And uh, Passions Week the begin is the beginning of the events that led up uh, to Christ's death, his burial, uh, and his resurrection. So this is an important week, the most important week in all of Christian history, in the entire history of the world. And actually, every day of this week, because uh, Passion Week is such an important week, uh, we're going to be taking a pause on our devotionals from Psalms, and we're actually going to be taking a look at what occurred every single day during Passion Week. Uh, so, uh, so be on the lookout for those. They're on Facebook. We do a, a video right at 1230 every single day uh, of the week, and so we'll be, we'll be hosting those from each one of our pastoral staff. But today, specifically, like I said, we get to look at Palm Sunday. And it's in John chapter 12, and, and as we get there, as you get there uh, in your Bible, I wanted to share a quick story with you, because I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like I have put on the quarantine 15 since this, uh, since this whole thing started. Now, for those of you who don't know what the quarantine 15 is, it's familiar, to, it's the, kind of the same as the, the freshman 15, where uh, you sit at your home, and your schedule has been completely and totally obliterated. And so the only way really for you to keep time is to eat whenever you're hungry. Well, the problem with that is, is that when you're sitting at home not doing anything, you're simply bored and you're just getting hungry all the time. And so the quarantine 15 is a, uh, is a real thing. So maybe it's out of boredom that I've been eating. Maybe it's out of the fact that uh, I do my best to teach my kids math. And then they tell me and argue with me that I'm teaching them math wrong. Um, and so because of that, I go to the pantry and eat my feelings. I don't know what exactly it is and, or why I've gotten to the quarantine uh, 15. Uh, but whatever that reason may be uh, for the quarantine 15, uh, I do know that Sarah and I have talked about on numerous occasions, hey, look, wouldn't it be great if once this whole quarantine uh, shelter-in-place thing is over, if, man, we were summer-ready 
we had our swimsuit bods going on. Like, I could go back to church and people wouldn't even recognize me because half of me was missing. So we've had those conversations on and on and on and on again and bringing us, people that have brought us food and then my son had his birthday and Sarah and I had our anniversary and none of those things are fun to eat healthy food during those days. No one wants a birthday cake made of kale because kale is gross and it tastes like sadness. Like that, that's just the reality of the situation. But regardless of how many times we've had that conversation, my actions are still speaking louder than my words. The things I do dictate what I actually believe rather than the things that I say. And that's largely what we're going to be getting at here. I don't know if you can relate to that, but my guess is you probably can, because all of us have great intentions at one point or another. I mean, just think about New Year's resolutions in general, right? Most New Year's resolutions have been abandoned by the first week of February. All of us have great intentions of changing our lives, but our actions tend to speak louder than words. We even have those conversations. Maybe those conversations happen in your small group or with your family or your friends or significant other, whatever they may be. You've never, maybe you've never even articulated the fact that you want to get better, you want to do better, you want to change something about yourselves, but it's, it's kind of a longing in your heart. It's something that you want to see as true, that you want to do something differently than how you've done it before. And so if that's you, I want you to know you're not alone in that and wanting to do something better, but your actions actually dictate something else. Actually, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. It's very famous, verses 15 and 16. It says this, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So really, it's a difficult thing here for us to understand. It's a difficult thing for us to be able to actually enact in our lives, to be able to say and do the same exact thing, because our intentions are always good things. This is nothing new that we as humans are dealing with. And so that's the very, th- very thing we actually see here on Palm Sunday. Our, our story picks up in John chapter, chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. It says this. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, a lot of us have heard this story before. Uh, especially if you've grown up in and around church, you've heard this specific thing before where Jesus is riding in on a donkey, right? There's people who have palm branches, they're laying them down. It's Hosanna, Hosanna. There's the, the song that a lot of churches do every, every Palm Sunday, Hosanna in the highest, right? Like that is where all of this specifically comes from. But there's a few important things uh, for us to note here. The first thing is that the people, obviously, they cut the palm branches, they waved them in the air, they laid them on the ground before Jesus as he rode into the city. But what we want to point out is that the palm branch actually represented goodness and victory. And that's something we don't recognize nearly enough as we talk about this story. These people were laying down palm branches as a sign of, one, the fact that they thought Jesus was going to be victorious. Uh, They thought he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And two, it also represented goodness and who Jesus was. You have to remember this event takes place directly after he raises Lazarus from the dead. So his popularity is an all-time high right now. People are assuming that who Jesus is is a good person. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing we want to recognize is Jesus chose to ride in on a donkey, which directly fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. It's actually in Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9. Um, and it talks about specifically, it's the end of that, where it says Jesus found uh, a young donkey. Uh, actually, in verse 15, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Okay, so he is directly fulfilling that Old Testament prophecy beyond the fact that he fulfilled that Old Testament prophecy. Uh, in biblical times, it was common for kings and important people to arrive by a procession riding on a donkey. Okay, so he is asserting himself, not just from the Old Testament, but also as, uh, as reigning king. The third thing that I want to pull from this text is when people shouted, Hosanna, they were hailing Christ as king. Hosanna actually means save now. And so I think we say it and we don't really understand what that word Hosanna means. It means save now. So, so those people at the time were saying, save now, save us now. They were recognizing who Jesus was. They were recognizing his deity overall. They were recognizing the fact that he was God and the savior that they had been, waited for, they had been waiting for. Now, these are all incredibly important things uh, to note. Uh, and specifically speaking, these people hailed Jesus as, as king. These people, they had a processional. He rode on a donkey. He got sung to. I remember uh, when I was younger, we would do that kid's song in church, right? I mean, we do the, the Hosanna song in church that I talked about a little bit earlier. And we put on our little shepherd's hats and have a rope tied around our head, regardless of how historically accurate that was or not. We would do it, and we would walk around church, and we would sing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. We'd have palm branches from somebody's uh, uh, tree clippings from the week before, and we'd wave them around, and it was really cute, and everybody clapped, and we went back to our classes and did our, uh, our Sunday school thing. And it seems like this magical kind of heartwarming type of moment. But actually, if we read the same account in the Gospel of Luke, it says that Jesus actually started weeping over the city as he was coming in. It says this in Luke 19, 41 and 42. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, even if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Why is he weeping? Why would Jesus be weeping in something like this? It's because he knew that these very people who were professing with their lips that Jesus was Lord did not actually believe it in their hearts. Why? Because their actions that were going to come shortly thereafter when it came to Christ's crucifixion weren't going to be proclaiming the same thing. In short, their lips and their actions weren't lining up to, uh, at all. At the end of John 12, Jesus actually tells us, uh, tells us quite a bit more about this. We'll grab the highlights from it. It says this in John 12, 44 to 50. It says, then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them in the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. He's saying, look, look, if you believe in me, you need to recognize that it isn't just 
me that you're believing in. It isn't just Jesus was a good guy, Jesus was a good person. Uh, It's God the Father. It's the architect of the entire universe that I am completely and totally in sync with as Jesus. So as you're praising Jesus with your palm branches, as you're praising him with palm branches, recognize you are praising the heavenly Father as well. You're not just praising someone to come and overthrow the government. You're not just praising somebody because he loved all people at all the time. You're not just praising somebody because he was a good teacher. You're praising somebody because he is completely and totally in sync with the God of the universe. He is representing God completely and totally. But also recognize, he's saying, that that if you hear my words, Jesus is saying this, if you hear my words and you don't keep my words, you'll be condemned in the last day. Why? Because he's representing God. Right, So if you hear my words, if you hear Jesus' words, if you hear God's words, and you don't keep those words, you'll be condemned in the last day. So don't pretend one day that you love me, Palm Sunday, and then on another day, condemn me, Good Friday, when Christ was crucified. That's what he's trying to get at here. You hear my words, and then you act on my words, because those words are from God. If you do that, when it comes to your eternal life, we'll see you when you get up there. That's what he's telling them. He's like, hey if, hey, if you've heard my words, heed my words, listen to that truth, and I'll see you in glory. Saying one thing, though, and doing another really plagues us as humans. It really, it, it really plagues us as humans because we have good intentions about everything. You know, I don't think anybody starts his day by saying, man, how can I have the worst day ever? How can I make everybody else's life miserable, including my own? You know what? I really hope I wake up today and uh, my financial security is completely and totally shot. Man, I really hope my 401k is through the floor today. I'm really, really excited about that. I don't think anybody wakes up saying that. I don't think anybody wakes up saying, you know what, I'm going to pour some cereal and really hope that there's no milk in the fridge. That seems like a terrible, a terrible outlook on life. Maybe I'll wake up and, and I'll come, uh, like I'm going to go to work that day, not because I love my job, and I'm going to go to work that day, not because it pays my bills, because I want to be miserable all day. I really hope I have a terrible day today. Nobody's intentions are like that. No, we start a day hoping that things are going to be great. Man, we start a day hoping that we get out of bed and, you know, when the stock market starts trading, man, our 401k is through the roof, not through the floor. And we hope that when we, when we start our day, we hope that, man, somebody got up before me and made me the greatest breakfast ever. No, we started a day hoping that we can go through the day, we get to our jobs, and we hope that in our jobs we are making a difference in some way. We hope for the best. Our intentions are always good intentions. Even when we intend to do so, our, our words carry very little weight compared to our actions. So our intentions, while they may be good, our actions are actually what speaks louder volumes. And that's exactly what's going on in the Palm Sunday narrative. People have great intentions, but they're going to fall flat on their face because they didn't follow through on the words that Jesus had laid out for them. Over and over and over again, in the Gospel of John, we consistently see Jesus proclaiming to the people about who he is. John, even in, in, uh, towards the end of his books, he, sa- he says, hey, look, I wrote this entire book. The whole reason that I wrote this gospel was so people would understand who Jesus is, that he's the son of the living God. And in order for you to go to heaven one day, like, you need to believe in what he did. You need to believe in the miracles that he did. That's the entire reason for this book. 
is for us to listen to the words of God, for us to listen to the words of Jesus, and then act on those very same words, which brings it to us. How does this play out for us every single day in our lives? How is this story applicable? I think we need to recognize, uh, like I've said repeatedly, that what you do has a significantly greater impact on people than what you say does. It's why on staff we consistently remind ourselves that we will, never, we will never ask people, we will never ask our congregation to do something that we aren't willing to do ourselves. Why? Because our actions communicate what we actually believe. Our actions communicate what we actually believe. Our entire pastoral staff, we're all in a small group, not with one another, but we're all in our own small groups. Why? Because we believe that community is important. We believe that being in community with one another is an important thing with other believers. And so because of that, in order not just for our own edification, not just for us to get closer to God, not just for us to grow those relationships, but also so we can model to everybody else what is actually important in the Christian faith. Why? Because our actions communicate what we actually believe. We will never ask you as a church to do something that we aren't willing to do. So the question then is, is what are your actions communicating about your belief system? Not what do you say you believe, but what do your actions communicate about what you believe? Are they communicating that uh, you're a Christian because it's how you were raised? And Sunday is the day for church. It's Sunday morning. Why are we going to church? Well, because we always go to church on Sunday. Are those what, like, is that what your actions are communicating? And in this time, you think, oh, man, it's really difficult for me to get to church these days. Is it communicating that Jesus is a good guy, but not necessary? He's not a guy who's necessary for us to, to worship him with our lives? Is that what it's communicating? You say, yep, I'm a Christian. I got the sticker on the back of my car, but I'm not going to talk to anybody about it. He's a good guy, but he's not necessary for me to worship, worship him with my life, worship him with my words every single day. Or is it a real faith that is pressing forward into action? People oftentimes ask me, they ask pastors all, all the time, how do I know I'm going to heaven? It's a great question. And so a question like that, let's go to scripture. Romans 10, 9, it says, if you declare with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Which on the outset looks like a very easy verse. So probably for most of us watching, we're like, yeah, I've, I've said, I've prayed a prayer. I've declared with my mouth. And yeah, I believe that Jesus is Lord. All right, sweet, I'm done. I'm going to heaven, it's all done. The reality is, is that the belief in your heart should actually spur you to action. It's not simply a something that you believe and you keep hidden in your heart. That that belief, as James talks about, His faith is defined by his works. So you can see his faith because of the things that he does. The belief in your heart should spur you to action. It should spur you beyond intentions into movement. If those people waving palm branches at Jesus when he went by riding on a donkey actually believed him, they wouldn't have turned their back on him on Friday when he was being crucified. What do your actions tell you about your faith? I think when we answer that question, we should be able to lean into the idea of the spiritual disciplines that maybe you haven't leaned into before. You know, maybe it's your good intentions of prayer, but failing to pray is indication that you don't believe prayer to be as powerful as you assumed. Maybe it's good intentions of loving your neighbor, 
but failing to love them or even say hi to them is an indication that you don't actually believe that loving your neighbor is that important. Maybe it's your good intention of simply talking about your faith. But failing to share your faith with someone is an indication that you don't believe that your faith is worth talking about. You see how all of these things go together? It's not the intentions that set us apart. It's not our intentions that make us different. Scripture says the world will know that we are different by what? Our love. Not because we say we love people, but because we actually love people. Because we actually love differently. This is a hard topic. It's a difficult topic. And, and I feel a little bit guilty because all of us are, are clammed up in our homes and we're not supposed to go anywhere. And I'm saying, hey, look, what, like, what are you doing with your life? What specifically are you doing with your life right now that communicates your faith? And that's a hard thing for us to kind of wrap our minds around in this season. But an important one, it's an important one for us to recognize because we have the single greatest news in the history of great news. And if our action is not equal to our discourse, then we earn the label hypocrite. And that's hard because I think a lot of us would say that, man, it's not fair. People are always calling Christian, Christians hypocrites. People are always calling us hypocrites. That's the number one criticism of the church is that Christian, the people who go there are all hypocrites. And honestly, church, they're right. Why? Because it's not often that our action matches our discourse that our action matches our conversations. Our actions matches the things that we say, the things that we proclaim to be true, the things that we proclaim to believe. And imagine what it would look like if, if the church simply did what they said they believed. Nothing more, nothing more than what Scripture calls us to. If the church just said, and not just our church, the capital C church, churches all across Christendom, if they said, you know what, I am going to, I am going to actually do what I say that we should do. Imagine what that would look like. There would be zero need in our entire country, possibly the world. The amount of prayers that would go up would be 200-fold because Scripture talks about the fact that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. That if Christians just simply did the things that they were supposed to do, people wouldn't be acting out of fear right now or acting out of hatred ever, but, but, but we would be acting out of love and we would be setting, example, setting an example for the rest of the world based on our behavior, based on our actions, not based, against our, not based in our, our empty and hollow words oftentimes. Church, the truth is, is that we've earned the nickname hypocrite. We've earned the label hypocrite. Why? Because our, our, our discourse doesn't meet up with our actions, or rather our actions don't meet up with our discourse. All of these things are possible simply by the church simply doing what we claim to believe in the first place. So let's in this time just continue to figure out how to be the church, how to be a follower of Christ, how to match up our action and our discourse so the world can see what the good news of Christ actually is. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we're, uh, we're thankful for the ability even to do church right now. And God, even as I feel bad delivering a message like this, calling us to something greater in this time, we need to recognize that we have to get past this new normal, that it's not all comfort. It's not all just sitting at home. 
but there are things we can do specifically in our lives, even now, to continue to, to love you well, to continue to love our neighbors well, to continue to serve our community well. And so, God, I pray you would put those things in the forefront uh, of our minds, that you would give us clarity in how to best do that, whether it's leaning in deeper into some spiritual disciplines like prayer and reading and, and those different things, Father. Or simply having a conversation with your neighbor from 10 feet away. I don't know what it is. But God, I pray that you would put those things in the forefront of our minds, how to love people better, that our actions would indeed match up with our discourse. That that label hypocrite would be able to fall away because we would simply do what we claim to believe. God, I pray you would empower us in that. And, and God, I don't know, maybe there's people watching and listening right now who don't yet know who you are. God, I pray if, if they want to be part of something greater than themselves, if they say, yep, this is the greatest news ever and I've yet to place my faith in Christ, that I do believe in my heart, but I want to proclaim it with my lips that your son is Lord, that they would just pray along with me, the ABCs, that A, say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior that I sin every single day, that I am a broken individual, and I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. B, that I believe that you sent your son to the cross to die on my behalf, the very thing that we are going to be celebrating this week, Father, that he actually rose from the dead. And C, that I would choose to follow you every single day of my God, make that real, not just for those of us who have just placed our faith, placed their faith in you, God, but for those people who've been Christians for a really long time and they're finding it difficult to be able to choose to follow you in this time. God, I pray that they would choose you every single day. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray.